Welcome everyone to Nuck If You Buck, the Milwaukee Bucks podcast that explains how your local team stacks up against the rest of the NBA. Hey hoopheads, we all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com, spelled A-R-Y-S-E, and use the code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off the future of performance. That's A-R-Y-S-E.com with promo code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off. Hoopheads Nation, we appreciate you listening to this episode of Nuck If You Buck with Devin Zanskis. Be sure to check out these other basketball pods on the Hoopheads Podcast Network, including Thrive with Trevor Huffman, Beyond the Ball, the CoachMaze.com podcast, Players Court, Bleachers and Boards, and our other three team-focused NBA pods, Grizz and Grind, Cavalier Central, Blazing the Path, and the 305 Culture Miami Heat podcast. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoopheads Pod, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game, from grassroots to the NBA. Hello, and welcome to Nuck If You Buck, the Milwaukee Bucks podcast, brought to you, as always, by the Hoopheads Podcast Network and hosted by me, Devin Zanskis. Today, we have an extra special guest who's joining me. That's Justin Matcham of the Hoopheads Podcast Network's own Cavalier Central podcast. How's it going, Justin? Things are going well. Thank you for uh, having me on. I'm excited to get going with this. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us here today. And uh, for the listeners out there, a little fun fact for you. Justin is, well, he's now the third uh, 2020 Sports Business Classroom alum to join us on the program but he also is essentially the probably besides my hmm, he's right around probably the biggest reason why I'm here today <laughs> recording to all of you. Um, I remember meeting him in one of the online networking classrooms and and he mentioned hoop heads to me and the availability for a Milwaukee Bucks podcast. So special shout out to Justin for being a huge reason why I'm here and a sincere, sincere thank you for joining us and for all your support. Um, Justin is an Ohioan or Ohioan. I'm not exactly sure how you say that, but obviously because of his podcast and his roots there, he is a Cavs fan. And Justin, I'll open up like I do with all of my guests with just trying to learn a bit more about you and your basketball background and finding out uh, when and why you became a Cavs uh, fan. Were you always a Cavs fan? Have you always lived in Ohio? Well, I'll start with saying um, thank you for, so much for the shout out. I do appreciate that. I am an Ohioan. It's an Ohioan, Ohio-an. not an Ohioan. Ohioan, okay. Yes, thank you. Ohioan. And um, <laughs> yes, I've always been an Ohioan. I've always been a Cavs fan. I grew up in a strictly Cleveland sports household. That means Browns, Indians, Cavs. 
I never really had the option to go anywhere else, so that's just kind of what I was brought up in. <laughs> I had a so, similar experience yeah. with Milwaukee, so <laughs> can relate. Um, and then, so, do you have, I was just wondering if you could share if you have any particular strong fond memories with LeBron's first stint with the Cavs. I don't know if it would be that um, the buzzer beater against Orlando or taking out some of those uh, dynastic teams from the Eastern Conference in the 2000s, like the Pistons or Celtics. Any uh, big memories there? I mean, all of those are good ones, yeah. I think the biggest one for me was just the... And obviously, for a lot of that run, I was born in 2001, so... You know, the, the early LeBron experience, I wasn't really there for. One thing that really sticks out in my memory watching, you know, the, the first sin of LeBron on the Cavs was that that entire 2007 playoff run that ended in them getting to the finals. Obviously, they were swept by the Spurs, but I think I, I was I was young at that point, however young I was. But that was something I do remember yeah. watching, and that was, you know... One of like the first really, really good memories that I have, you know, watching that live and really, really, really being into it. That's awesome. Yeah, that makes sense because I know I have at least a couple years on you. I was born in 97 and the guests know that that kind of my big uh, basketball awakening, we'll say, I guess, was kind of around when LeBron actually left and went to the heat and the NBA kind of took off even more from there but uh speaking of that um i'm sure our guests are curious to know what your reactions were following the decision or the reactions of people close to you that that you um that would have been reacting to the decision similarly um did you or did anyone you know in fact burn a lebron jersey at that time well i can say well my household was not happy about the decision. There were no LeBron jerseys burnt. I uh, actually have a bobblehead sitting here on my desk, a LeBron from the first stint bobblehead. I think that one, this used to be my brother's. I think this one at one point had its head like turned around to the back. Like that was done out of anger by, I think my brother. I remember watching the decision live. That was another thing that I do remember. Um, Oh, gosh. I remember my dad throwing the remote at the TV screen when he announced it. So, <laughs> while there were no jerseys burnt, there were um, some hard feelings. Yeah. That makes sense. And I, I do respect that no jerseys were burnt. There was some understandable frustration there that hopefully us Milwaukee Bucks fans won't have to experience uh, anytime <laughs> in the hope. near future. But, yeah, it's... I'm I'm happy to hear that although there was frustration, there was there's definitely some some respect for the guy that that definitely brought you guys success early on, and of course would follow up follow it up later. But yeah, uh, and I'll just I'll just use that as a note to uh, anybody if if Giannis were to leave, we definitely will not be burning Giannis jerseys. That's not something Nuck a few bucks supports, and. Um, I will be sharing my address with anybody who wants who wants to talk about that or has a problem with it if Giannis <laughs> were to leave, but we don't believe he's going to, so we can move on from that. Well, remember also that um, there's that uh, jersey insurance too, so when LeBron, or not when LeBron, when Giannis goes back to the Cavs, you can swap it in for a Giannis Cavs jersey. Ooh. 
I, I don't I don't think he he's gonna be joining the Cavs fellow, but <laughs> but uh you know, we, we can all hope, we can all dream. But that is that is true. That is a really nice aspect of NBA.com now that Yeah. Especially with all the player movement that that you don't have to be worried about whether or not a player will switch teams. That's pretty cool. It is Thanks cool. for a reminder on that. Um now moving forward to um Actually, before we talk about present present day Cavs, we'll we'll continue on a little bit down memory lane because you guys have had quite the story these past couple decades. Um, so, as I kind of mentioned, you LeBron did uh, return home and have uh, one of his fairy tale endings with Cleveland when he did bring the championship in 2016. What are your biggest memories from that? There are some notable moments, of course, that me and the fans are certainly thinking of right now, but what were like your biggest memories from the 2016 championship? And was there anything that maybe the guests uh, wouldn't necessarily uh, think of if we're just kind of from the outside as Bucks fans versus you being a Cavs fan? Well, I guess I'll start with that whole week was a stressful week. And something that you have to remember about the city of Cleveland that, you know, some people are probably aware of, some might not be, not being from Cleveland or the Cleveland area. This is a city that has not had a ton of success in professional sports. Obviously, you know, LeBron brought some success in his first Cavs stint. Um, the, the Browns were good before they left 20 years ago. Um, the Indians, you know, have gotten so close so many times before that that 2016 run that also just ended up just short but it was a long 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 time since the the city of Cleveland had you know a, a major sports title and not so much for me i mean obviously it was it was a you know a fantastic you know championship for me as well and i love being there for it but Watching, you know, Game 7 of the Finals in particular at home with my dad. And I remember him just, like, basically, you know, leaning over the ottoman, watching, you know, the last minutes just <laughs> shaking, you know. And then it, it was it was cool to see him because, you know, he had been waiting so long for that. So, you know, just looking back at that whole thing, just the stress of the week, especially when it looks like we weren't going to do it. And then to come back, it was really, it was a roller coaster of a week, and it was pretty cool to see. Awesome, yeah it, it's it's really it's really great to hear some firsthand experiences on 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 such a remarkable victory. Of course, the the only three one comeback in NBA Finals history, and and uh, c- cementing LeBron in uh, somewhere in in the goat debate. Um, we we may Somewhere have we may there. have slightly differing differing opinions on that, but we don't we don't have to get to that. I find the goat debate pretty silly anyhow because I, I think I there. think we just need to like appreciate these. appreciate all players for what they're good at and what they've done, and stop yeah. trying to take down one player to to raise up another. But yeah, like you said, that's a that's a discussion for another day. Exactly. Maybe some more off-season talk between the two of us in the future. But yeah. Um, speaking of LeBron, um, still, I kind of wanted to bring it into a little bit more Bucks talk, or more so Giannis talk. In that, um, 
And yeah, so LeBron and Giannis are fairly similar archetypes in that uh, they're kind of point forwards, I guess you could say. Um, LeBron obviously leaning more towards um, point in having point guard, real point guard abilities. He obviously led the league in assists this year, if I remember correctly. And did, yes. one of the best passes of all time. Giannis has in a really long way to go to get there. And, and on all, in all honesty, he, he won't get there to that level. But that's fine. As Giannis kind of is more of a big. And I see him kind of fitting somewhere in between where LeBron and Anthony Davis is. Being more, being more similar to Anthony Davis probably in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, that was, that was kind of a, a big reason for why I brought you on here with, with all of the, with LeBron just winning the finals, obviously. Um, but some, another comparison I saw between the two is that they have, um, have or had older supporting casts along with them. That second stint, especially that I remember better with LeBron he had J.R. Smith, Richard Jefferson. Also, he also had Kyle Korver and George Hill. And and let's not forget, Darren Williams is also, also on the Cavs at one point. Unfortunately, um, he was, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, and then also with Giannis now, like I said, um, we also have uh, Kyle Korver performing at similar levels, a rejuvenated George Hill. Um, we'll also talk about how we were able to get him from from you guys as well. Lopez brothers, Wesley Matthews, Ursan Ilyasova, they're all they're all on um uh not the better side or the worst side of 30 for Giannis. But um is there anything that you see with um with those LeBron teams and now this Bucks team in do you see maybe the Bucks making similar mistakes? With well, I guess. Uh, sorry. No, I guess no. What I was going to say ahead. was, um, I think you. First I of think all, you get where I'm going with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got where you're going. I, I like kind of the comparison of kind of somewhere in the middle there between a LeBron and an Anthony Davis. I think obviously Giannis is more ball dominant than AD, but he kind of has that that finishing mindset, you know, just freak of nature around the rim, which LeBron is as well. But, I don't know, watching him play, it is more of kind of an Anthony Davis, you know, just pure physical dominance kind of thing. But, yeah, looking at, um, especially, you know, the, the supporting cast that you mentioned as far as J.R., Richard, uh, Kyle Korver, George Hill, even Darren Williams, it is... I think one of the bigger differences there is that... I don't know even know how exactly I want to say this, but I think one of the mistakes that Cleveland made was kind of not fully, especially in the last LeBron year. I guess and you know some of these players were from earlier on, but in the, especially in that last LeBron year in 2017-18, they kind of tried to go both ways by you know going with. Larry Nance and Jordan Clarkson and making that trade, which obviously those are two players that are loved by all Cavs fans, including me. But yeah. it seemed like something that they, you know, with it, it was never going to last that way because the rest of their team was so old. So adding a few guys who were, you know, kind of young, but not really young 
was just in kind of a sticky situation, and it didn't really leave LeBron any tools to you know work with going forward. Looking at um, this this Bucks team, it's kind of in a similar position to where this is not the young Bucks team from you know three years ago, four years ago. This is a very veteran team that is built to win right now, and unless they make some moves to really commit to the future, it is going to be interesting because you look at you know both Robin and Brooke. Wesley Matthews, George Hill, Kyle Korver, or San Eliasova. The only real young pieces that you have are, well, I guess the, the big one is is Dante DiVincenzo, but DJ Wilson, you know, it's it's interesting because for the Bucks in the position that they're in, I just feel like it, it's kind of a difficult one because they need to capitalize right now but they also do need to plan for this future because they need to know, you know obviously they need to make it uh, need a decision from Giannis either way to really know which way to commit but it'll be interesting to see what they do this offseason in particular just as far as you know do they trade for do they do a signing trade for someone like Bogdan Bogdanovich who's another fairly young piece who can you know be a running mate with Giannis for years to come do they look for a more veteran guy to just go completely all in such as a Chris Paul, but then, you know, yeah. once you give up so much of your future, if you give up so much more of your future to win right now, and then you don't win, that doesn't leave you in a very good position for Giannis long-term either. So there are definitely parallels there between Giannis and LeBron. And so much talk has been made about, you know, just LeBron kind of gutting a team's future to win right now. And I'm not saying that Giannis is necessarily doing the same thing, but they definitely are kind of trending in the same direction. Yeah. Um, it's it's really it's really tough because obviously you want a team to always be building for sustained success but eventually just just with the way having multiple stars on your on your team um, happens especially once they're on the team for long enough you you have you have to pay those those superstars and and paying them the contracts that they deserve definitely hurts your flexibility and that's and that's maybe why it, I don't. I don't always. I always end up bringing it back to Malcolm Brogdon. I can't. I can't help it. But that's why. That's why it is important to to take advantage when you do have when you do have young yet effective players on your roster. But also you have the, the ability to bring them back with those bird rights because we are kind of limited with what we can do going forward. And uh, even though. Dante is really important to our future success and and uh, whatever this pick uh, ends up being will also inform a lot of uh, what we do in in the seasons moving forward that realistically Dante DiVincenzo in the best case scenario with this pick probably won't end up uh, making a difference when it comes to building a real championship roster and we know from, from these playoffs that that maybe a lot has to be done so yeah i guess an, another comparison between this Giannis bucks team and and those lebron teams is that is that uh although it sometimes it hurts to see in in front of your eyes the the future of the team and flexibility going away when you do have those kinds of players uh sometimes it's worth more mortgaging the future if you can if you can get better in the immediate with whether it's a Chris Paul or 
a Victor Oladipo. Those are exceeding, exceedingly unlikely to happen, but definitely more tempting when you see uh, bad playoff performances like this year. And of course, uh, yeah, Giannis is looming free agency. Moving forward from there, I, w- I want to continue on with with the uh, the uh, Bucks Cavs, but still somewhat with Giannis and LeBron. And also, additionally, we haven't spoken a lot about Jabari Parker on this on this podcast. He isn't he isn't a Buck anymore, obviously, but he's he has played a, a huge role with uh, for the Bucks in this past decade. Obviously, our our highest pick and in uh, many years, going back uh, probably as far as, yeah, going back as far as Andrew Bogut, of course. And when I first thought about these matchups, the first thought that came to my mind was um, were early battles between LeBron and Giannis and Jabari, and also Kyrie at this point, too, because I'm looking at the 16-17 season following uh, the that Cavs title there. This was uh, Jabari Parker's career year. Um, unfortunately, uh, he would end up tearing his ACL for a second time. Uh, but that year, it was a Jason Kidd year where he averaged uh, 33.9 minutes per game, but also 20.1 points per game, 6.2 rebounds, 2.9 assists, and a steal. He started 50, 50 out of 51 games. And this was also... Giannis's most improved player season, his first of four all-star appearances and averaged 22.9 points, 8.8 rebounds, 5.4 assists, 1.6 steals, and 1.9 blocks in 35.6 minutes per game and 80 games. And there was, there was kind of some beef between the two teams, actually. The, the Bucks shocked the Cavs in a late November contest, contest winning by 17. Giannis put up 34 points, 12 rebounds, 5 assists, uh, 5 steals, and 2 blocks. We also had uh, some unlikely bench contributions from Michael Beasley, uh, Moose, and future rookie of the year, Malcolm Brogdon. And then um, the Cavs would end up redeeming themselves in late January when the Cavs and Bucks would play back-to-back games. One was an overtime victory for the Cavs, um, in which LeBron and Kyrie had 34 and 28 points respectively. Uh, Jabari and Giannis had 30 and 25 points themselves themselves in that overtime loss. And then the next day, the Cavs would uh, have an 11-point victory in regulation with similar scoring outputs from Kyrie and LeBron. And... uh, Effective performances off the bench from Channing and Shumpert. And then following those victories, we would get um, we'd get some, some bad press from the Bucks side. I wanted to share an old uh, Dave McMenamin article, um, or rather an, ex- an excerpt from Dave McMenamin from a uh, SB Nation uh, Christian Winfield article where McMenamin says that uh, James has been respectful and supportive in public comments about Parker Anadokounmpo offering stock stock answers, saying he doesn't know he's not the GM yet. Uh, somehow, privately, McMenamin shares that uh, after the Bucks beat the Cavs by 17 points on November 29th, 
Uh, James was less impressed um, with Parker and Antetokounmpo uh, clearly playing at a high level, higher level versus the Cavs than they normally do. And Bucks fans may, may remember this because as a young team who definitely was showing uh, progress even, even at this time, um, we there was there was still the co- the common uh, moniker of never trusting the Bucks because we'd flash that potential and play up to competition, but then also play down towards competition. Still finishing the season with with uh, around a five hundred record at forty two wins. Um, but but yeah, obviously. Um, Comparing comparing the Bucks at that point to the Cavs, it was a bit of comparing apples to oranges. As um, once LeBron returned um, from the during his second stint, I believe in every single one of those seasons, the Cavs won would win three out of four games in each of those seasons. Uh, as the Bucks were still growing there, um, Justin, I'm I'm definitely not gonna. Pr- gonna press you on on any of those individual performances that because you guys have had you guys had a, a ton more success than we did during our uh building stages so i'm just going to move forward from there and still talking about this this old Cavs iteration but then sort of leaning into how the bucks became who they are now um i wanted to know if you had any thoughts on the george hill trade looking back would you have would you have done it any differently if you were the Cavs? If I'm the Cavs, no, I wouldn't have done it any differently. Being able, that was, you know, that whole season after the first four games or whatever, when they realized, oh, shoot, this team is not in a position to compete or contend for a playoff spot. You know, we need to get these veterans out of here and get whatever we can for them. The Cavs were just kind of scraping and clawing for whatever assets they could get in return for a lot of these veterans. George Hill obviously being one of them. It seemed like the Cavaliers were just kind of reaching for whatever second-round pick they could get. And getting a first-round pick out of this trade from the Bucks, you know, even being the Bucks, where it's probably going to be a late first-rounder next year, I know there's some protections on that pick, but it'll likely convey next year in the late first round. <laughs> getting back Matthew Dellavedova, who, yeah, the contract isn't the best, but it's not like... It, it's obviously been nothing that's been really yeah. you know holding us back in the way that it would have held the bucks back i don't think there was any chance of delhi finishing out that contract in milwaukee but delhi is a guy who where any other team might scoff at that contract for for matthew delvadova the cavs kind of welcomed him back with open arms and Obviously, Delhi has really, really struggled this year, especially, you know, his shot has completely abandoned him. But just, like I said, Cleveland just kind of values him in a different way just because of the history that he has here and winning a championship here. So getting a guy like Delhi back, I think, really was an important thing for the culture of this team, kind of, and just having a steady vet who had been around here before was important. Like I said, getting that first-round pick was was huge out of George Hill, who wasn't, you know, super effective. One quick note on George Hill. Obviously, we know he shot, you know, 46% from three this season. George Hill shot 45% from three on three attempts per game in the 43 games that he played for the Sacramento Kings before he came to the Cavs. In 37 games total with Cleveland split between two seasons – that number dipped down to 38%, which isn't bad, but it's 
you look at someone who was at the time when he was in Sacramento leading the league in three point percent, shooting forty three percent. He comes to a team with LeBron who generates more open three point looks than just wow. about any other player ever, and that number goes down six percent. He comes to Milwaukee, and I think he had a rough year, you know, the year that he was traded there as far as just shooting the ball from deep, but he goes all the way back up to 46% this year on the same number of attempts. I think George Hill, you know, deserved to be put more in the six man of the mm-hmm. year conversation this year. And that's how good I thought he was off the bench for them. And overall, I think really just every side got what they wanted out of this trade. The Cavaliers also got, I think, a couple seconds out of that deal. They sent out a second to Washington other, other, really, other than Washington, I think everybody really got a good, a, a good deal here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, and and forgive me for misspeaking. Actually, uh, following my my long rant there, um, but but Justin note, noted that this is actually more so in the current iteration of the Cavs than in the previous. Because uh, when LeBron was there, the Cavs definitely wouldn't be looking to to trade for for first round picks as much and giving away veterans. This was. Uh, after LeBron yeah. had already gone to uh, L.A., but I'll share the trade details on that trade um, in which the Cavs sent, uh, which was uh, a, a 2021 second round pick that actually belonged to the Wizards um, and George Hill to the Bucks, And then they sent Sam Decker to the Wizards. Then our Milwaukee Bucks would send Matthew Dellavedova. Uh, John Henson, their 2021 first round pick and and a 2021 second round pick to the Cavs. And then the Wizards would send a 2022 second round pick to the Cavs and uh, Jason Smith and cash considerations to the Bucks. Uh, Justin did note that that the first round pick does have some protections on it. I'll run through those as well. It's uh, it's lottery protected in 2021, uh, top 10 protected in 2022, uh, top 10 and uh, 25 through uh, the 30th pick protected in 2023, and then only top eight protected in 2024. And I believe after that, it will... It usually becomes like two seconds. Yeah, it'll become that. two seconds, but uh, I... <laughs> It'll, I it'll obviously will be a tragedy if it doesn't convey next year, like you were saying. <laughs> yeah. Um, and one note on this trade that I have to ask you about real quick. I'm sorry. Oh, no. Um, the Jason Smith experience in Milwaukee, how was it? it Six was... <laughs> games before being traded to New Orleans. How, how You got to let me know how, how, Jason, how Jason Smith was there. <laughs> he, he was... And this is no shock to anyone. It's probably about the most for- forgettable experience that that I can think of in recent Bucks <laughs> history. I, I'm sorry, Justin and listeners, but I have I have honestly zero thoughts on Jason Smith. Respect to him and anyone who can who can carve out a role in this league for an extended period of time, especially at his his position. But yeah, I definitely. Um, I definitely wouldn't wouldn't take back this this trade either, especially considering uh, George Hill's surprise kind of bounce back seasons here with the Bucks. Obviously, you noted his percentages jumping back to 
uh, where they were with the Kings. And it is quite puzzling that that George Hill didn't produce with the Cavs, considering considering he had the LeBron effect on his side. Yeah. Um, and like I said, that's not to say that George Hill wasn't a good player when he was in Cleveland. It's just the shooting oh, percentages yeah. as a whole did take a kind of a, a, an inexplicable dip, which was just kind of weird. But I'm, I'm happy that he's recovered and that he's playing as well as he is with the Bucks. Of course, he's he's like he's the epitome of like a stand-up guy in, in NBA terms. So respect Absolutely, to George Hill, yeah. no matter what, whether he's with the Cavs, Bucks, or anywhere else. But another interesting note on this trade: um, we know that there's a ton of player movement, especially in uh, in uh, today's NBA. And uh, John Henson, uh, unlike unlike for the Bucks, he wasn't he wasn't entirely long for the Cavs as he was traded in the Andre Drummond uh, deal that would send Drummond to the Cavs for pretty much nothing. Uh, I was wondering if, if you happen to have any thoughts on, on, Andre, on Andre Drummond, uh, Justin, but if not, we can also look to move forward um, from there. Yeah, I, I can give you some quick thoughts on that. I mean, John Henson, when the year that we traded for him, he missed the rest of the season. I forget what exactly the injury was, but I liked... I liked having Henson in Cleveland. You know, he was a good defensive big for us. He he bought into his role while he was here. I think everyone kind of knew that he wasn't long for Cleveland. Yeah. And, yeah, we traded him and a and Brandon Knight in a almost worthless, about as worthless as a pick could possibly be, for Andre Drummond, who, I mean... If anyone, you know, is looking for detailed thoughts on Andre Drummond, I've spoken on him plenty on my own podcast, but um he's I, I'm not yeah, I'm not convinced that he is a part of Cleveland's long term plans. And well, it it was kind of unfortunate because, you know, the shutdown happening, we didn't really get to see all that much of him. So not having a full tryout time almost to really, really see how he would integrate into Cleveland and see how he would play with J.P. Bickerstaff in particular, who took over, you know, early on in Drummond's tenure in Cleveland after John Beeline was fired. Well, I'm not entirely sure that, like I said, he is a part of our long-term plans. It seemed like a worthwhile move. The Cavaliers weren't really going to do anything else with that cap space this year, and... It was worth a shot. Again, you gave up two expiring contracts and a pick that has very little chance to become anything to get a guy who might be your starting center for, you know, a while if they extend him. If you don't like him, then this is going to be the last year on his option. It's his player option year. So after this, we can just let him walk or we can trade him this year. And being an expiring contract, we probably get more out of him than the Pistons did. So overall... Not a bad trade, you know. It was just kind of a, oh, we don't even have to give anything up to get him. Well, we'll take him and see what it is. You know, it might work out, might not. But if it doesn't work out, it's not really big that big of a deal. It's not like we gave up that much for him. Yeah, I definitely imagine he's going to pick up his $28 million player option for this coming year. But I I, I agree with you, even even from the outside. Um, although I kind of preach at, at nauseam at times on this podcast the importance of leaning into the modern NBA and that is having having shooters and it's I say that a lot because it's especially important around a player like Giannis who lacks in that department but 
considering that you guys you guys gave up two expiring contracts for players that at this point um, are borderline rotation pieces and then what is the less favorable of a Cleveland Golden State Warrior 2023 second round pick for I mean a former all-star despite um, what you think of Drummond is I, I I thought that was that was a great trade for you guys just because of what you gave up. Um, and one more one more quick thing oh, yeah. talking about leaning into the modern NBA. Andre Drummond's trying to shoot threes. It's not going very well, but he's attempting. <laughs> Isn't that right? That's crazy. Especially it kind of reminds me of in, in the same breath when uh, John Henson started shooting threes. I'm sure that. That'll it's, be a fond, a fond memory for a lot of Milwaukee Bucks fans there. Yeah, it's it's not going much better than that. <laughs> it might be worse. <laughs> yeah, well, shout out to him for at least trying to expand his game a little bit. I know that's that can be, I mean, that just must be it's super tough to for a player it's, like it's him. It's painful to watch sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe you wouldn't want to see those attempts uh, at the hands of your, your roster there, but... Hey, you gave up nothing for him, so exactly. shout, shout out to you guys. And um, let's see. I guess I'll move into one more uh, recent trade uh, for the Cavs, and it actually does relate to the Bucks as well because the Cavs ended up trading for uh, last year's uh, 30th pick in the NBA draft, which would become Kevin Porter, which... Um, believe, let's see, he was traded. That pick was Pardon traded me. to the Pistons and the yep. Tony Snell dump. Exactly, yeah. Which it brought was... you guys back John Luer, I think. <laughs> yep, uh, we got John Luer back and we ended up stretching his contract too. And that wasn't that wasn't just the Bucks throwing away uh, a late a late first round pick and Tony Snell for anything. Uh, let's remind Bucks fans that that the main motivation was uh, was being able to get that extra cap space there and avoid the luxury tax for this this year, which we weren't narrowly uh, able to avoid by uh, two million dollars, barring, of course, somewhat likely uh, changes to the salary cap with uh, the pandemic and the result of the NBA bubble, but. It went from Milwaukee to Detroit and then to the Cavs, um, in which the Cavs sent cash considerations, Utah's 2021 second round pick, Portland's 2021 second round pick, uh, Portland's 2023 second round pick, and the Heat's 2024 second round pick. So although those are a lot of picks given up, um, the same amount of picks that the Bucks gave up to get uh, a Nikola Miritich, though, however... You, you you can tell from from those details that that uh, the the Cavs aren't really hard pressed for uh, young or future assets there, and that's because they make smart deals like like the like the George Hill trade. And I was wondering if you had any thoughts that you'd like to share with with Bucks fans, because I kind of see him similar to a Dante Divincenzo. Um, at least similar in value. I may be biased in saying that I'd rather have Dante. You'd maybe be, be biased the other way. Um, but um, are, do you have any thoughts on the late first round pick from a year ago 
that that you'd like to share with Bucks fans that we may may not know? Well, first of all, I do want to say that, you know, I hope everything that's going on with KPJ in his life, you know, whatever it might be, I hope that he's doing okay. We did see um, a kind of cryptic message suggesting that maybe he's not doing so well on, um, on Instagram, and I think he deactivated his Twitter account as well. So, you know, hopefully everything's going okay there, you know. I mean, keep keep Kevin Porter in your thoughts because, like a lot of people, he's possibly, possibly going through some stuff right now. So... You know, I, I hope that, you know, he has a great supporting staff, you know, around him and Kevin Love, who's obviously dealt with the same thing. Uh, J.B. Bickerstaff and Kobe Altman, you know, the head coach and general manager, respectively, are both obviously, you know, important figures to him. And, you know, they've both reached out to him. So I'm hoping that, you know, between people like that as other teammates, other players around the league and just, you know, those those other people in his own personal life, I hope that he, he does get the help he needs because... You never want to see anybody go through something like that. So, you know, first of all, I just wanted to say that, yeah, I, I hope that everything going on with Kevin Porter is okay. Um, you know, he, he did say that he was doing fine. So hopefully, hopefully, you know, he, he gets past everything. That's all I'll say on that. But um, just looking at, you know, him as a player, I, I if you're going to ask me, I, I think Dante DiVincenzo is definitely the player that you would rather have right now. I think he's proven that he can contribute to, you know, probably I, I, you would still consider the, the Bucks a title contending team and he can be a key piece on a, content, a title contending team. I don't think you can say that about Kevin Porter Jr. right now. Obviously, he's just coming off his rookie season. If you're going to ask me which player I'm higher on as far as potential goes, there is very real star potential there for Kevin Porter. And I'm not sure that that's there for Dante. I think Dante is going to be, you know, a starting level player for years to come. So, again, you know, obviously we've only seen Kevin Porter for one year, but I would say that, well, he is not what, you know, Dante is right now. I do think that his ceiling is higher than DiVincenzo's. Yeah, I'd have to agree there. And and the uh, trouble I had there with um, kind of evaluating their value I obviously thought Dante had more value, but I like to consider my biases with Bucks players. And also, like you had mentioned, Kevin Porter and Dante DiVincenzo are more valuable uh, on their current teams than they would be on if, if hypothetically, if it's not going to happen. If but if they, if they places, flip yeah. teams, they definitely yeah. have more value considering uh, Kevin Porter's shot creation. Um on a, on a team that doesn't that doesn't have uh, stars like Giannis or Chris Middleton to contribute as much in that area, um, and that's why Dante fits in well because he can he can pick up the slack somewhat on the on uh, well definitely on the defensive end while still contributing um, while still contributing on the offensive end. But yeah, Porter Porter wouldn't be getting the same looks on the Bucks, but I still am. And pretty high on what he's shown in his brief career. And obviously before any of the actual player analysis, our thoughts uh, on Nuck uh, if you buck are with him. And uh, yeah, hopefully he, he recovers from whatever he's going through uh, sooner than later. Um, I'll move forward from there um, to kind of... In, along the same idea of trading back and picking up players who who may slide 
Um, maybe they'll slide to, in this case, the Bucks position at 25, and we'll be able to get a diamond in the rough, similar to Kevin Porter Jr., or maybe the Cleveland Cavaliers, like last year, they'll want to trade back for some of these players. I was wondering if you had any ideas on sleeper candidates in the 2020 NBA draft. Uh, some players I had in mind, though I admittedly haven't done as in-depth analysis on are a Sadiq Bey, Aaron Neesmith, one of the best shooters in the draft, Alexei Pokashevsky. Uh, I believe he played uh, last in Greece, and then Akira Lewis Jr. I see them somewhat in that mid-first round, so maybe some somewhere where you guys can trade back or um, players who can maybe slide to us. Did you have any thoughts on those players or thoughts on other players that I haven't mentioned? Uh, those in particular, I think, especially by the time the Bucks are drafting, I think that Sadiq Bey and Aaron Neesmith will almost undoubtedly be off the board. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think agree. those are guys you're looking more at in kind of the mid to late lottery, probably towards the back of the lottery. Alexei Pokashevsky is potentially the most hit or miss player in this draft. Um, really high potential, but could also just, you know, come out and be a complete bust, really. So I, I'm really not sure where he's going to go. He could go anywhere from the top 10 to the mid-20s. I don't really know where he... I, I mean, I haven't done as much work on him as I have some other players, but I, I really am not sure what to think of Alexei Pokashevsky or where he's going to get drafted. I think you know, that might be a guy that Boston considers with one of their picks if they decide to keep them. They also might decide to trade those. But looking at Kyra Lewis, that's one that I think is more of somebody who... Out of this group, I think he would probably get picked last, although I'm not sure. Again, I'm just with Alexei Pokashevsky being such an uncertain, I'm really not sure about that. Yeah. I did have a few guys highlighted on my own board here. Um, and it's funny because I actually, I'm a, again, on my own podcast, um, we just did something similar to this where we were looking at if the Cavaliers were to either trade back and pick up a late first or buy a first-round pick, obviously, you know, with the pandemic and, you know, the severe decline in revenues this year. There might be teams looking to shed costs, which means maybe even being willing to part with their own first-round picks. Um, I had three guys highlighted here, the first of which being Pratis Achua, who is a 6'9", kind of forward, more power forward than center, but overall just kind of big for Memphis. He's kind of a, an energy big, but he is a little bit undersized as well. Um, he has the chance to really be an impact defender right away. He's very, very raw on offense. He, well, he does kind of have you know that catch and shoot potential. I think, I, I think he'll get drafted higher than he should. I think that's somebody that I am not as high on. And I understand the defensive versatility there, but I just think, again, that that potential to to, to shoot is going to be really, really important for his development because if he doesn't have that, he's going to kind of I feel like be cast in that kind of Jordan Bell role where he's not really able to play power forward just because he can't space the floor at all and he can't really do anything on offense. And you can only really play him in those small ball five lineups. So that's not somebody I would be super surprised if he slips, but I do expect him to go a little bit higher than the Bucks again. Looking at a few late first-round guys, um, I'll start with Tyrell Terry, who is a 6'1 guard from Stanford. Uh, a high-level shooter. Really, if you want to look at a, an accurate comparison for for Tyrell Terry, Cleveland's own Darius Garland is a really good one to look at. Um, 
high-level shooter, you know, has a potential to be a really good pick-and-roll scorer, uh, solid passer, but not spectacular. Um, overall, a smart team defender, but he really might get overwhelmed at the NBA level just because he has a very thin frame despite being a decent athlete. Um, obviously, he didn't get hurt in college like Darius did, but um, overall, just, you know, someone who has an, a chance to be a really, really good offensive point guard, you just worry about, again, his ability to kind of get knocked around just because of that thin frame. And the last guy I had on my board here was Desmond Bain, a 6'5 guard at TCU. Uh, another person who's just a high-level shooter. He kind of has an unorthodox shot. It's just a little bit funky looking, but it yeah. goes in. He's a high IQ player who, you know, that, that IQ kind of makes up for some of his athletic limitations on both ends of the floor. And while he's not a great lateral mover, he is like, that dude's a tank. He is built. He is really, really strong which gives him, you know, some some versatility on defense. I think that's somebody who can guard probably one through four. You know, you can hope as he progresses throughout his career, maybe some, you know, a little bit of one through five. Again, I, he'd probably get overwhelmed by centers, but that's somebody who can really, you know, guard just about anybody. You know, you can hope. And uh, somebody who mostly plays off the ball, but, you know, he has some potential to create on the ball as well. And he's one of the older players in the draft, so you hope that he can be you know, kind of one of those plug-and-play players in the draft. He's 22, so that's somebody that I think the Bucks in particular would really, really love to have on their team is Desmond Bain. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we actually, we we ran through some Desmond Bain analysis, and he's kind of uh, right kind of in the top of my list of the, what will it be, eventually like uh, eight or nine players that we'll go in depth on on this podcast for the Bucks. Um, but I do see him on draft boards really kind of, there's a lot of variability in where he's going to be selected. I've seen him um, just outside of the lottery, but I've also seen him um, kind of in that early to maybe not quite mid, but close to middle uh, second round. But I think having that plug and play ability, like you mentioned, makes him uh, exceedingly interesting uh, on the Bucks or yeah, for the Bucks and as, as far as uh, the others you've mentioned there, particularly Tyrell Terry, I'd definitely be interested in him. He's uh, certainly one of the top shooters in the draft and can and can fill it up in multiple ways. Um, there's, I, I, I'd imagine he can, he can do so uh, off the catch, but also he can do it and pick and roll off the dribble too. Uh, however, he is... I, I believe I read somewhere that he, he might be as light as like 160 pounds. So he, he definitely would not be able to do well and probably would fit in, uh, have similarly poor production uh, like that of like a Trey Young. But like it, it'd be it'd be really shocking if he or, or any, anyone else around that area in the draft would, were to be as transcendent as he is offensively. But I definitely find him interesting, and if if he were to slide slide to the Bucks, possibly would would uh, jump to the top of my list and players I'd be interested in. As far as Precious Achua, um, he's definitely on defense. He could contribute right away. However, I don't love his fit or really the idea at Bucks going towards uh, any true front court players in the draft, just because we have. Um, Plenty of pieces there, and I still favor shooting. 
much more than other attributes with uh, potential roster spots, considering um, that we need to surround Giannis with that type of talent. But I mean, I hey, if completely. he does, um, if he does develop that catch and shoot game, improves that in workouts or or in other places that I honestly haven't seen, then that that defensive ability is definitely intriguing, um, and. With his talent level being projected uh, in that mid for, mid first round, if he were to slide again, similar to Tyrell Terry, then I would, then I re- be, I'd still be interested if I were the Bucks, just because. Really, honestly, anyone who anyone who slides, um, they're, they're whereas they slide for a reason, they're also projected higher for a reason. So, um, yeah, get, getting a steal in the draft uh, is is always something that that um, teams drafting later uh, are looking to do. Um, now I'll move in, move on to some of um, V Bucks' own draft analysis that I'm doing every week to try and catch some of our listeners uh, up on realistic candidates with our number 25 spot. Today we'll be highlighting uh, RJ Hampton, who's really similar as well compared to some of the candidates we talked about before because he... Started off this season almost, um, you, you would guess that he'd certainly be, be in the lottery, but he's he's slipped more and more as time has gone on. Part of that having to do with him uh, playing for a New Zealand Breakers team, not a notable college, or playing against um, college candidates that uh, us and NBA teams are more familiar with. But um, uh, Sam Fennessy, whose opinion I draft, or I trust a lot on the draft, uh, said that he honestly, um, while playing for uh, kind of an unknown team there, he also didn't really produce that much there um, compared to a LaMelo Ball. Didn't get as much opportunity and didn't perform as much as a LaMelo, uh, even though Melo certainly had has always had, has mostly had better prospect than RJ. RJ is uh, around six... Six four six five with a six seven wingspan, uh, similar to Tyrell. He's he's a little light in, light in the shorts with uh, hundred sixty around hundred sixty five pounds, and uh, I'll go through some of his pros and cons from what I've read. He's a phenomenal athlete and can jump out of the gym, um, and uh, does well in transition. Can leap off of both feet well, and excels at uh, using uh, cha- changes of speed, pace, and direction to get by defenders as he's a creative finisher. And getting to the basket is is definitely his best skill at the moment. Or, yeah, getting to the basket is what um, some would say is his best skill. And he's very comfortable in the pick and roll as well. Um, and although he can definitely... He has room to improve as far as consistent sh- consistency shooting. There aren't any technical issues with uh, with his shooting motion, uh, except uh, this little kind of uh, highlighting some of his poor footwork in other areas. He um, he he brings his right leg back a little bit when he shoots, and then his legs are also close together. And some analysis were saying moving that right foot foot back when he when he pulls up might. Kind of be uh, 
indicative of future knee injuries. Hopefully not, but definitely, I guess, not not uh, good for his knee health. Um, but yeah, overall, solid shooting form, can get to the basket, really good athlete, and was ranked high at some point. So I think he... I definitely wouldn't be, be disappointed if the Bucks were to get him because although he sounds kind of like a boomer bust guy from from what I've said, I think his his floor is still relatively high considering he can he can shoot off the dribble and he has good size for a guard. So despite some deficiencies that, that I'll outline on the defensive end, his size his size alone will will make up for uh, some places where he'll lack on defense. Um, I mentioned that he does have poor footwork and it shows on defense, giving up driving lanes. He's prone to falling asleep and lacking effort on that end, which is uh, not a a great sign that teams like to hear. Um, But yeah, maybe he can can improve in the future with a little extra effort um, and uh, being able to close gaps and get skinny over screens as you'd think he'd be able to do at that 175 mark. Um, but yeah, obviously adding weight, uh, weight and strength is imperative for him. And, uh, also, whereas, uh, he's really good at getting to the basket in pick and roll, he can improve his vision a little bit. And also, um, he could have a little more variability and, uh, precision on his passing. Um, but yeah, overall, I, I wouldn't be disappointed if the Bucks were to get him. I think it's kind of the two sides of the coin dilemma there where where um, if he's sliding, you wonder why he's sliding <laughs> and maybe maybe there's more uh, bones to pick, but also he was he was a highly rated prospect for a while and teams had to think that for some reason. So maybe not at the top of my list on Bucks prospects in our range that I've highlighted, but he's definitely at worst like in the middle of that region. Um, and kind of a comp for him that people have seen. This might be a little kind so far, but especially if he adds if he adds a little more weight, he could be um, kind of a Jordan Clarkson type, which we've talked about before as maybe not an ideal candidate for the Bucks, but someone in that mold with a little more playmaking could be really useful for the Bucks in the future. Um, do you happen to have any thoughts on on RJ Hampton, Justin? Yeah. Um- I kind of wanted to go over a couple of things. One thing you were talking about is his athleticism, and I do think he is – well, he does need to add strength. He is a terrific athlete, and I think he's somebody who will be a big threat in transition, which watching, you know, either RJ have the ball with Giannis in a fast break or the other way around, that could be someone who can really get out and run with Giannis for the Bucks. Overall, he does have more of a score-first mentality. I think he's going to be more of a – secondary playmaker type throughout his career, you know, somebody who wants to play with more of a natural point guard, you know, can, can play the one in spurts, but not going to be somebody who's really going to be a high-level playmaker, I don't think, at any point in his career. Uh, like you said, his, his shot does need some work as well. Um, the, the shot looks decent, but it is just so inconsistent, and I think he's going to be limited probably pretty much to, to catch and shoot threes. I don't see him making, you know, too much more from uh, outside of that. The yeah. biggest knock for me on on him is his defense because, again, while he is a very athletic and he has a good wingspan, or at least a solid wingspan, um, he just he 
has a long way to go on that end. Like I said, the physical tools are there, but his footwork is not good at all. Um, and he just kind of doesn't always look engaged on that end of the floor either. He's kind of lackadaisical sometimes out there on the floor and just doesn't always know where to be, which again, that's something where, you know, he got thrown into a professional league this year and that's a big adjustment, a bigger adjustment than colleges, you know, you know, international coaching is different from college coaching and international competition is different. So Kenny thrown out into that fire might kind of have part to do with that, but overall he's not going to be, he's going to be a disaster on defense likely day one, which you can say for a lot of rookies. So I'm not going to say that that's, you know, the end all be all for him. He is a good finisher around the rim, but he doesn't use his left hand at all. He's going to be going almost strictly right. So the development of a left hand would be, you know, another thing for him that could be important. Uh, I, I, I'm kind of interested by that Jordan Clarkson comparison. One that I had more for him is current Cavalier, again, Dante Exum. Just as somebody who is long and athletic and really run the floor, um, kind of limited again to that, to catch and shoot being, you know, the potential for his shots. Not really a natural playmaker, but someone who can handle the ball, who can get out and run, and who you hope can eventually play some defense with those physical tools. Because, again, Dante does have those defensive chops to where RJ really just doesn't right now. So I think what you can hope for is less injuries than Dante Exum, but that kind of player mold. Yeah, definitely. I think um, this this won't sound super kind on RJ, but at this point he sounds kind of... Um, Somewhere in between Clarkson and and Dante and that he's probably closer to Dante on offense and closer to defense um, compared to Clarkson. So, yeah, not not the (laughs) best comparison there, but... You you want that to be the other way around. (laughs) 100%, yeah. But if that were the case, then he'd be going higher. And um, those those players have been in the league for a while for a reason. We are are intrigued by his athleticism and... um, some if if he were to to be more consistent as a catch and on the those catch and shoot shots, but um, yeah, definitely mainly on the on the defensive end, he has to focus on just one being more focused and engaged, but uh, also just just, just being be, aware of really, like not allowing yeah. so many driving lanes. Like his his footwork there on on some of the some on a uh, some of the clips that I saw on him were just uh, mind boggling, even. Uh, someone, if if you were to see see me on the court, you, you'd think I'm I'm a sieve myself. But just kind of like not even like forcing, not even forcing players like away from the basket at all, just inviting them inside. But yeah, I he's definitely like I said, kind of polarizing and probably uh, ends up somewhere in the middle in my short board of players who will realistically be taken around where the Bucks are slotted in. Now, I do want to end here on somewhat of a more silly note than usual, and that is uh, bringing back up my little uh, trade transaction and partnership here with a local Rocky Rococo pizza and pasta. And now I'm bringing this back up. Justin, you may have heard about the first off-season trade that we had of... I did see that trade. Yes. And there's a lot more to it than, than the trade details, those details being that 
I am offering up promotion on this pro- on this podcast to Rocky Rococos in exchange of them eventually sending a uh, jar of the famous Rocky Rococo pizza sauce and a coupon for a whole pie. And uh, this came about from um, a respected Bucks podcast, Locked on Bucks, and how one of their hosts has a similar uh, history and fascina- fascination with Rocky Rococos as he's since moved away. Uh, he being Frank Madden, co-host of Locked on Bucks. But he's since moved away from Wisconsin, so he has that appreciation for the extremely underrated Rocky Rococo pizza. Uh, I believe they're mainly just in Wisconsin, so I know you wouldn't be familiar with it, Justin, but you probably have your own uh, home- homegrown local places that, that you love. But some of the background for listeners here is that I actually worked at a Rocky Rococo's near my parents' house where I'm recording from right now for was my first job when I was 15 and I worked there for like over two years. So that's some of the background there and um, for why I think guests should should check out Rocky Rococo's and I think you, you should really respect my opinion on them because I worked there for so long and ne- not once did I get sick or turn down a Rocky Rococo's pizza and to this day I'd like to think I could still whip up a pretty mean Rococo Chicago or Motherload Slice. So I'm in attempt to do a little better at the promotion and and hold up my end of the bargain so I can hopefully get that sauce. I wanted to highlight for fans that today is actually sweetest day, at least according to Rocky Rococo's Twitter. I haven't heard anything else about sweetest day and I doubt you guys have, but Rocky Rococo's is famous for for heart-shaped pizzas. As I remember how busy it was there on Valentine's Days, lines just out the door, and me just being stapled to the phone lines there, uh, making orders, placing them for guests, and Rocky Coco's uh, shares the sentiment that flowers say I appreciate you, but you can actually eat a heart-shaped pizza on this sweetest day. So, uh, that's a that's a fantastic point to bring up, Rocky Rococo's. I can't argue that at all, but even beyond... Um, the heart-shaped pizzas for Sweetest Day, they're also offering up pumpkin pizzas, which is just the just like the craziest thing I've ever heard of, and I respect the hell out of it. So once Sweetest Day passes, we still have Halloween to celebrate. So go place an order for a pumpkin pizza on Halloween, and there's a... Uh, Buy one pumpkin pizza, get uh, $5 off a large whole pie and or, not exactly sure on the stipulations, a uh, $3 off of an order of party sticks. And I believe you can use the code pumpkin in order to redeem that. So yeah, definitely go check out Rocky Rococo's, one of the most underrated pizza joints. And you can trust me on that because... I ate that pizza consistently multiple times a week for two and a half years. And on that note, um, Justin, I would like to cap off um, episode nine and this week's episode of Nuck If You Buck with, uh, again, a very sincere thank you for, uh, as the guests know now, for allowing me to be here, which is uh, kind of a dream come true for me as a local NBA Bucks nerd. And uh, so thank you for that. And if you could go ahead and uh, plug whatever it is you'd like to plug at the end of Nuck If You Buck, obviously you can find Cavalier Central 
on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. But anything else for the guests, Justin? Uh, that's really just about it. Again, thank you so much for having me on. This was a lot of fun to do. Like Devin said, you can find Cavalier Central wherever you get your podcasts. We upload twice a week, Monday and Thursday, talking literally anything that's going on with the Cavs, especially in you know these days right now where not a lot of content flowing. We're trying our best to keep pumping out content twice a week over there. Um, also, I guess, listen, if you're other, if you're interested in other teams, we have a Grizzlies podcast as a part of this network, Gris and Grind. There's the 305 Culture Pod for the Miami Heat, and we also have Blazing the Path for the Portland Blazers just coming out now, too. So if you're a fan of any of those teams, you know, go check them out. If you're a fan of the Cavs, go check out Cavalier Central. If you're not a fan of the Cavs, go check out Cavalier Central. And uh, that's all I have. Thank you so much for letting me be here. Yeah, thank you so much, Justin, really, and uh, for not only joining today, but allowing me to be here, and to all the fans out there, make sure you check out your uh, Hoopheads Podcast Network, um, and diversify your basketball knowledge a bit by checking out those other teams, and uh, also just our collective NBA content as well. Uh, Shout out Justin, Cavalier Central, the rest of the Hoophead Podcasts. And shout out Rocky Rococos, and I'll see you in another life, brother. If you have an existing podcast or are looking to launch your own pod but aren't sure where to start, the team at My Podcast Manager can help. Our podcast team works behind the scenes so you can do what you do best. We'll help you launch your podcast, make it sound great, and free up your time for the more enjoyable parts of podcasting. If you're ready to put your podcast editing, production, and promotion on autopilot with a trusted team of podcasting professionals. Visit mypodcastmanager.com to get started. Thank you for tuning in to Nuck If You Buck, the Milwaukee Bucks podcast. We hope you join us again. See you in another life, brother.